Well, good morning. Let's go ahead and take our Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And like Jaden said, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, it's hard to believe that we are in part 6 of our sermon series, A Picture of Health, Learning How We Can Have a Healthy Soul. And uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed this series and this study so far along with you. And each week we are looking at our cavity stamp. If you're familiar with the game operation, if you are, if you're new to the game of operation or if you're new to the study, uh, there is an old board game called Operation where there is a man named Cavity Sam uh, who, I don't know why we have him up here with no clothes on, but uh, we have this Cavity Sam up here and he's got all sorts of problems that we're, we're looking at one each week and we're learning how we can have a healthy soul. So today as we uh, get into his part a little bit, uh, today as our, we're going to find our topic for today, and it is a little bit hard to see maybe from where you're at, but here uh, we have a little Pinocchio man where his nose is coming out. Uh, and it's turning into a noose, which is one of our more, uh, I guess, serious ones for today. So but we are looking forward to learning how to have a healthy soul. A couple of years ago, there was a man, and his name was Paul Gonzalez. And Paul Gonzalez was arrested for being a dying dasher. Now, not a door dasher, but a dying dasher. Uh, he lived out in California, and he was very active on the dating scene. Paul would get on different dating, uh, different dating apps and he would meet ladies and he would, uh, he would hit them up for dates. And whenever he would find a lady, he would go out with him, he would take her out to a restaurant, but Paul, was, Paul wanted to be, uh, or he said that he wanted to be very, very uh, generous. So he would take them out, not to like McDonald's, uh, not, to, not to Cane's or whatever, but like he would take them out to the fanciest Steakhouses. He would take them out and say, "Hey, get the get the filet mignon or get the get the lobster." And uh, they would get the nicest, most expensive meals on the menu. And then he would order for them the the best sides and the most expensive the most expensive wines. And then he would get dessert. He would say, "Hey, you, you got to get dessert." Uh, so he would take them out for these for these fantastic meals where they would eat together and they would get all the way through the meal. And then whenever they were finished eating, he would get a phone call. He would take the phone call and he would he would step out of the restaurant to answer his call and then he would hop in his car and he would leave. And he would leave his date with a 100, 150, sometimes 250 dollar bill. After a couple of years of these dine and dash dates, he was finally arrested where it was found that he took about between 12 and 18 women uh, out on these meals, and he conned out of them around $1,000 in dates. After he was discovered, he, um, he was arrested. He spent, I believe it was 18 months in, in jail. <coughs> Pardon me. He had to pay all of the women and the restaurants that he conned out of this money back, and he had several other fines. And whenever I read that story this week about Paul Gonzalez, and you can look it up, I think it happened out in California in 2016, um, my jaw dropped at the idea that someone could be such a uh, a nice way of putting it, a jerk uh, to take out these women and to, to take advantage of them for meals and I, I looked at that and I thought about that and I just thought man, who could do such a thing and I know that as even as I told that story looking at your faces as I told the story you thought, man, who would do such a thing but whenever I thought about the underlying heart condition of someone who would do that, what you find is you find someone with a lack of 
integrity. A lack of integrity. And we could look at Paul Gonzalez's story, and, and I trust that you would never do something like that to someone who would say, oh, I would never do that, so therefore I must be a person of integrity. But what I found whenever I look at my own life, whenever I look at, at my life, I can say, hey, I, I'm a person of integrity because I wouldn't pawn women out of $1,000, but then I look at other parts of my life sometimes, my work ethic at work. Whenever I get paid an hourly wage, but I don't always give that hour of work. Uh, men who would say, hey, you know what? I would never I would never cheat on my wife, but then they look at porn. In uh, some of our lives, we say, hey, I, I'm, an, I'm a person of integrity because I wouldn't do this. But then whenever we look at the whole of our lives, what we find is we struggle with integrity. Uh, it reminds me of another man who took a date out. And he took her, not for a fancy restaurant, he took her out for, for some chicken tenders and a picnic. So he went to a restaurant and he, he, took her, he took her out, he ordered the chicken tenders, they went out for their date to the park, and whenever he opened up the bag of chicken, instead of finding tenders, he found the bag of money. Uh, he found $800 in the bag that he was given, so he decided he and his date to go back to the restaurant and turn in the money. Uh, so they went back to the restaurant, they opened the door, and there was a waitress who had mistakenly given him a bag of money instead of chicken. She was crying, and the manager was frantic at all of the money that he lost. And there these good Samaritans turned the, food back, or turned the money back in. And the manager was so excited that he said, you know, you got to stay here because you are the most honest person I have ever met. Uh, so let's call the news and let's get the news down here to write a story about your, uh, your honesty and your, your character. And he said, no, 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 please don't do that because my date isn't my wife. She's actually married to somebody else. <laughs> uh, we've got problems. Sometimes we look at different areas of our lives and we like to feel good about, about some of our best actions or some of our best intentions. And then we like to sweep under the rug uh, other, other actions. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, as we walk through this letter that Paul wrote to a spiritually healthy church, a church with healthy souls, he's writing to them, and in this section of the letter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he writes to them about integrity. He writes to them about his example before them, the example of integrity that he gave to them. He, he instructs them on how to be people of integrity. And I know that as we all desire to have healthy souls, being people of integrity is a part of that. After all, the, 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 the softest pillow is a clear conscience. If we're going to be people who have healthy souls, we need to be people of integrity. So if you look with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2, and we're going to start reading in verse number 9, where we left off last week. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 9, it says, For you remember, brothers, uh, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also how, how holy and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his children, that you would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, 
you received it not as the word of men, but as, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually works also in you that believe. For you, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For you also suffer like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they pleased not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. Today we're going to talk about this idea, a healthy soul stands with integrity. Let's pray together and we'll dive into God's word and study. Father, we love you. Thank you for your goodness to us and thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather together, to sing praises to you, to consider uh, the good news of the gospel, that when we were lost and dead in sin, you came for us, you lived a perfect life for us, a life of, of perfect integrity. And you died on the cross so we could be forgiven. Lord, I ask that as we consider uh, the kind of people that you shape, I pray that you shape us and mold us to be people of integrity, a church of integrity. May when people experience our church and our church family, may people never say, oh, there is a religious hypocrite. But may we see, may they see people of integrity who just, who just love Jesus and who love like Jesus. So Lord, we dedicate this time of study in your word we ask that you would mold us and shape us and change us to be more like our Savior. I ask that you'd help me to say only what you want me to say. Help me to, to not say anything else, but only that which uh, you want to communicate through your people. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. As we start off with our text today, I want you to notice that Paul gives to this church an example of integrity. And we've been really going over this for the last uh, couple of weeks. And I want you to notice in verse number 9 where we, where we started, it says, For you remember, brethren, our labor, our work, and travail. For laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preach unto you the gospel of God. And we see this example of integrity. And, and, and it amazed me as we get into this section of the chapter how Paul has really said over and over and over again, uh, he set to that. He set before them his integrity. I mean, honestly, even sharing it with you who have been here for multiple weeks, I part of me feels kind of bad because we've been saying this for for multiple weeks. But Paul keeps on going back to this, and he says, "Hey, you remember? Uh, you remember how 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 all of the other priests, the the priests who would worship." false idols, the, the priests who would come in and preach to you that you need to worship uh, these, 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 these statues of gold and silver and stone. They would come into town and they would say, hey, if you want to get closer to the gods, that, that, then give me money and you'll get closer to the gods. Uh, the priest would say, hey, if you have uh, women, if you have sexual, a sexual relationship with me, then I can help you get closer to the gods. And that is the culture that Paul lived in. But he said, that's not the way that we behaved among you. Uh, you know that whenever we came into town and uh, we, we were tired and we were beaten and we had just gotten out of prison for, for preaching the gospel in Philippi. But when we came to town... We didn't come asking you for money. We didn't come to take advantage of you. We came and we just worked. 
We just got to work, and, and day and night we were working, and sometimes we were building tents, and other times we were preaching the gospel, but we wanted you to know when we came into town that we care about you, that we care about your soul, and we see here as he describes what he did, I want you to notice some things. He says, he says you remember our labor and travail, our labor and travail. Now, if you've been with us since the beginning of the series, we've seen that word labor before. We've seen that word labor before. Look with me back in chapter number one and verse number three. He says to them, he says, I remember. I remember your work of faith and your labor of love. I remember your work of faith and your labor of love. Of love. And now he's saying to them, hey, you remember how we, when we came into town a year ago, we came in with a work of faith and labor of love. He said, we set an example for you of the kind of character, the kind of integrity that a Christian should have, that a believer should have. And then you've taken that and you've run with that and we're proud of you for that. But never forget that, that as believers, we don't become something special just because we attend a worship service. Uh, we're, not, we're not something special because we sing some songs and we raise our hands and because we, we clap and say amen if we go out during the week and we live like the devil. Uh, there has to be an integrity between my Sunday worship and my Monday worship. Because for a Christian, there is no difference between, uh, between what's secular and what's sacred. As believers, we are on mission wherever we go. And we should live with gospel integrity. So we see this example of gospel integrity. He says, hey, we came in with, with faith that we were going to preach the gospel to you and it was going to work. Uh, we, we trusted that we were going to labor with love and that you took that and you received that. And then he talks about that, that he says, you are witnesses of God. Also in verse number 10, how holy and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. And then in verse number 11, he says, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged you, every one of you, as a father does his children. As a father does his children. Now, we'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. But here's what I really want you to get, is that he's, he's saying, hey, we worked by faith. Uh, we worked, we labored with love. And then whenever he talks about how he behaved towards them and how he taught them, all of these words, all of these examples, and we'll talk about it a little bit more in a second, but he says that we exhorted and we comforted and we charged you. Like a, like a dad does. Like a, like a good dad teaches his children. And here's what he's saying. We taught you with, with patience. Hey, we knew that you weren't going to be perfect. We, we knew that you weren't going to get it all right away. But we just we worked and we wanted you to get the gospel. And we, wanted, we wanted the love of Jesus to start working in your life and changing and transforming you. But we didn't expect you. We didn't, we didn't set a bunch of things on you and expect you to be perfect overnight. Because we're not perfect overnight. And that's where he's going with them. He gives them an example of gospel integrity. And that is what they took in 1 Thessalonians 1.3. This work of faith, this labor of love, this, this patience of hope. And that is the example that they got from the Apostle Paul. So we see an example of gospel integrity. But now next I want you to notice in verses 11 and 12, I want you to get this definition of gospel integrity. Because we understand integrity. Integrity uh, is the opposite of hypocrisy. It's where what I say and what I do matches. But for us who are believers, it goes so much deeper than that. It's so much bigger than that. In verse 11, he says, You know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does for his children, that you would walk worthy of God, who has called you into his kingdom and glory. 
Read with me that verse 12 again. It says that you would walk worthy of God. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I, whenever I read that, um, it gets me. It gets me because how can a person be worthy of God? I mean, consider your situation. Just consider the last week. Uh, the people that you lost your temper with. Uh, the people that, that, that you lied to this week. Uh, the, the times where you just where you really messed up this week. Alright? And I, I'm in the same boat. Is that worthy of God? And the answer would be no. But he's telling them here, walk worthy of God. And it's, it's an incredibly overwhelming and convicting. And we need to get this, this definition. He says, we, we labored among you, we taught you with patience that you would, like a father does his children, that you would walk worthy of God who has called you unto his kingdom and glory. He reminds them that you are not just anyone. You are a child of God. For every person who, who realizes and recognizes that you are, you are a sinner, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, that, that every person, that there is none righteous, no, not one. That you uh, were dead in your trespasses and sins. That is who we were, but then Jesus Christ came and lived the perfect life that we could never live. And he who knew no sin, who, who never sinned, became sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Here is the idea is that before you trusted Jesus as your Savior, you were dead in your sin. But then Jesus, Jesus created an exchange for you. He created an exchange for you. Because he died on the cross and because he rose again, he said, I'll make a trade with you. You give me yourself, all of your sinfulness and all of your brokenness. and You give me yourself and I'll give you all of my righteousness. Uh, you give me your sinful brokenness and I'll give you my righteousness. That's why we say, just as I am without one plea, but that my God, but that, but that my blood was shed for me. So we come broken to be mended. We come wounded to be healed. Man, we should have sang that one today. Uh, so I come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. I come guilty to be parted by the blood of Christ the Lamb. Jesus gave himself for us so that even though we were sinners, he could make us saints. Even though we were broken, he could make us righteous. Even though we were guilty, he could make us whole. That's why Jesus came. So he says, hey, you have been called into that. That is what you are. And sometimes we don't live like it. Sometimes we don't live like we've been made whole. Sometimes we don't live like we've been forgiven. Sometimes we don't live like we've been cleansed. But the reality is, is that if you know Christ, if you put your faith and trust in the work of Jesus, that's who you are. Amen. So he's saying there needs to be a, a match, there needs to be a consistency wow. between our walk and who we are, between our, our, our position and our practice. And this should be, it should be natural. It should be natural. Now, I remember whenever I was in college, it was my, I think it was, it was before Adrian and I started dating, so it must have been, it must have been sophomore year. Sophomore year, I played on my college basketball team, and one particular day, we were playing, uh, it, was, it was one of the cool, coolest experiences that I ever had. We played Korea University, like actually from, actually from South Korea, uh, a university in South Korea, flew out to the States, and did a tour where they played a bunch of teams, and they came to my college, and we played Korea University. 
And my parents, the old, that's not true. It's not the only game that they ever like saw me play in person in college. But my parents flew out to California to watch me play that game. So we're playing, and these guys are ginormous. Like they are, like seriously, like the guy that I got matched up against. I'm six foot four, and at that time I weighed probably like 210 pounds. Don't ask me how much I weigh now. Uh, so, but at that time, I was six four, six five, uh, 210 pounds, and I'm I'm go I'm going up against a guy that's six eight, and is twice as thick as I am. Like this is a big, strong guy. And the first half, the guy just he just embarrassed me. Uh, I'm just gonna be honest. He just embarrassed me. So then it's halftime, and I know because my coach, he's just going to scream at us like we played the worst game of our lives, whether we were winning by 30 or we were losing by 30, but I really knew he was going to, he was going to rip me to shreds when we went up to the locker room, and on our way to the locker room, there we are in our stadium, in our, in our home stadium, I'm up in front of, I'm playing in front of all of my college friends, uh, and there I am walking to, I'm walking to the locker room, and all of a sudden I feel a hand on my shoulder. And all the other guys go upstairs. And I turn around, and in front of hundreds of students, there is my dad <laughs> in the middle of the basketball court. And he was my, he was my high school basketball coach, too. So, so that, those coaching genes and that dad gene. He gets out on the court. And I won't tell you the whole story, <laughs> but I will say this. He gets behind me to be... This is just basketball, but he sticks his knee in my rear end and he goes, don't let that guy move you. Uh, and he said, he said some things, uh, he, he just, in front of hundreds of students, he decided that he was going to coach me. <laughs> I was embarrassed. Incredibly embarrassed. But you know what, in the second half, we, we turned it around, we came back, and, and we won the game, and it was, it was a really cool experience. But you know, at that halftime, it was just natural for my dad to be dad and coach. I didn't play for him anymore. Uh, I hadn't seen him in months because uh, I was at school. But in that moment, whenever I was getting embarrassed by this big, by this big uh, six, eight guy who was, just, who was just pushing me around, my dad at halftime, it was just natural for him to step out onto the court. He didn't care that hundreds of students were watching. He didn't care that he was getting embarrassed. But he was like, son, you get into a position and you don't let that guy move you another step. It was just dad. That's what, that's what dads do. They embarrass their kids. <laughs> they teach. They teach. That's a better way of saying it. For believers, we're never going to be perfect until we get to heaven. But it should be natural for us to live like who we are. When you trusted Jesus, the Holy Spirit can be well within you. And he walks with you. And he wants to lead you. And he wants to guide you through each day. He wants to give you the grace that you need. He offers you the grace that you need for each day. To walk like who you are. So whenever it says walk worthy of God, that's something that should excite us. Because it's not something that's some impossible task. It's something that he says, hey, because I'm working within you, that's something that can supernaturally, naturally happen. It's a definition of gospel integrity where my, where my practice, where my daily practice matches my position in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're alive, you're a saint, and my, when I live with gospel integrity, I live like that on Monday through Saturday, not just, not just Sunday. So we see this definition 
of gospel integrity. Then finally, I want, then third, I want you to notice uh, the pathway to gospel integrity. So we saw an example of gospel, gospel integrity. Paul came in not to take advantage, but to love like Jesus. Then we see a definition of gospel integrity is where my, where my practice, where my daily practice matches my position in Christ. Now, we know, now I want you to notice the pathway to gospel integrity. Here is the steps to living a life of gospel integrity. And I'm thankful for, for this pathway that we see here in the scripture because, because I kind of need those steps. I need those steps. My senior, my senior year, another college story, this was not, this was not basketball, but my, my senior year, I had, my, I had a full class load of, uh, I think, 18, 18 credit hours. Uh, I also worked a security job where a lot of times I was either working like 10 at night until 6 in the morning. Uh, my, my classes started at 7.30 in the morning. I also played basketball my senior year, so practice was every night from like 9 to 11 at night. And what else did I do? Adrian? I also went every weekend. Every weekend we would spend a weekend serving at a church, Adrian and I would, together. So my, my schedule was pretty full. My schedule was pretty full at that time, and I was just exhausted. Like, my weekends typically looked like this. Friday night was practice or game night. Uh, sometimes I had work also on Friday night. On Saturday night, I would usually work Saturday night from 10 o'clock at night till 6 o'clock in the morning. I would take a half-hour nap, and then we would drive an hour and a half to go serve at a church. Uh, serve at a church all day. So it was a Sunday morning service and a Sunday evening service. Then we would drive back an hour and a half, and then I would work again either from 10 o'clock at night until 2 in the morning or 10 at night until 6 o'clock in the morning to start school again on Monday morning at 7.30. Like, life was crazy my senior year. I don't remember any of it. Uh, so, uh, but that was, that was my life. And I would have died. But I knew two things. One, at the end of this year, at the end of this semester, I'm going to get to walk across the platform, and I'm going to get my diploma, and, and, and I'm going to be done with this place. And then the second thing was, i got to get through this to get married in August. Like, those were, those were two good motivators for me, because I had a pathway. I said, hey, I just endure this. I just endure this. I get to graduate, and I get to get married. I had a path forward to finishing college. There's a path forward to living in gospel integrity, and Paul describes it for us here in verse in uh, verse number 12 and 13. He says in verse 12, he says that you would walk worthy of God who has called you into his kingdom and glory. He says, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually works also in you that believe. That also works in you that believe. So here is the pathway forward to living a life of gospel integrity. First of all, is there's a relationship with the word. There's a relationship with the word of God. Now, I think that maybe 10 years ago, if I were going to, to say this, I would say that in order to have a pathway to gospel integrity, whenever it comes to the word of God, I would say something like, you have to read your Bible every morning from, for three chapters every day. And you read it. And then you go and then you're good. But there's a problem with that. And I discovered it really fast whenever I would read the Word of God and I would read a chapter. And then I'd get to the end of the chapter and I realized, I have no idea what I just read. Have you ever been there where you read it and I just said, I, like my eyes went over words, but nothing happened in my brain. 
Uh, that's, that happens to me sometimes. I'm, I'm going to be real with you. That happens. And then I go back and I have to read it again. Like, it was bad this week. I think I was calling Jaden. Like, this week, I seriously read the same thing. I had to read it four times before I actually read it. Uh, it was bad. So, but sometimes we get this idea of, oh, if I just, if I just do a little, religious, a little religious duty, if I just do a little, uh, a little religious action, then that makes me a person of gospel integrity. But it's so much more than just, it's so much more than just checking something off a checklist. So did you know, here's a little Bible trivia for you. Did you know that there's nowhere in the Bible where it says these words? Read the Bible. We're told a lot of things about scripture, but it never actually says to read the Bible. It says, study. It says, meditate on. It says, hide God's word in your heart. But it never just says, read three chapters a day, read the whole Bible in a year, and you're good. You have to do more than read. You have to have a relationship with God's word. It has to, it has to become a part of who you are. The Bible says that we all uh, behold as in a glass or in a mirror. The glory of the Lord are changed from glory to glory. Here's what that verse is saying. It's in 2 Corinthians 3.18. You can look it up later. He said, it's saying, hey, that the Bible is like a mirror. And when you look into that mirror, it changes you. For example, ladies, uh, it doesn't do a lot for me. But ladies, whenever you look into the mirror in the morning, uh, for those of if you're gonna if you're gonna put on makeup that day, you look into the mirror and you say, "Okay, uh, now I need know what needs to change. I know what I need to apply. I don't even know all of the names of all of the different stuff." But you look in the mirror and you you, you put stuff on your face in accordance to what you see. And when we look into the word of God like a mirror, saying, God, I want to know you more. Holy Spirit, I want you to teach me. I want a relationship with the word of God, not just to do a checklist where I just check it, where I just check something off. When I have a relationship with the word of God, then it causes me to be a person of gospel integrity. We have to have a relationship with the word. And here Paul says to them in verse number, in verse 13, he says, hey, that, hey I, I'm proud of you because whenever you receive the word from us, when you got the word of God from us, you didn't receive it like it was a word from man. You received it like it was the word of God. Now, there's something really, really important that, that I want you to get, especially because we're, we're a brand new church together. So I want you to get this. He says that when you received the word of God from us, when you received the word, you received it as it was the word of God, not the word of men. Here's what I want you to get. All right, this is important. You need a relationship with the Word of God. It is my responsibility as your pastor to give you the Word of God. There's a problem whenever I'm not giving you the Word of God. And if I'm not giving you the Word of God, then you have the biblical responsibility to reject, to, to, to get rid of my teaching. I'm responsible. He says here, he says, we didn't give you the Word of me. We gave you the Word of God. And that's why here at New Life, I'm committed as your pastor to walk through with you books of the Bible, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Because here you say, hey, you, if you're going to be a person of integrity, you have to receive the word of God. So I take seriously 
giving you, serving you, the word of God. That's why we went through the Gospel of Mark, that if you want to, uh, you can go back on YouTube and you can find our study of the Gospel of Mark. And now we're going through 1 Thessalonians, and next we're going to go through... I'll tell you later what we're going through. Uh, but we're going to walk through. Book. It's going to be awesome, though. I'm ready for the next series. Uh, it's going to be like, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, so we're going to do some fun things, more than, more than that. But I'm not going to tell you what book we're going to study next. But you'll just have to be here when we start that in July, the first week in July. Okay? So, but, anyways, he says, hey, I gave you the word of God. And that's what we're going to do here. I'm going to give you the word of God. But then it's your responsibility to receive God's word. To let it impact you, to let it change you, to let it shape you. It's the pathway to gospel integrity. It's a relationship with the Word of God. But then I also want you to notice that it's, it's, it's we're shaped into, into gospel integrity through discipleship. Through discipleship. And I want you to notice in verse number 11, in verse number 11, he says this. This is really important. He goes, as you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you. Every one of you. Now here's where we get into our, our little into a little bit of Greek study for today. Uh, and for each, for every one of you, for each one of you, there is an emphasis. Uh, we're not going to walk. I'm not going to give you the Greek words today because uh, I can't say them. But whenever he says to every one of you, catch this. There is an emphasis on the word each. So here's the idea. He didn't say. He did not say. I'm going to give the word of, I didn't give the word of God generally. He's saying, I gave the word specifically. When he said, I gave it to every one of you, he wasn't saying, hey, I just preached a message to however many people are in this room. He said, no, I went, like, I went one by one. I went, I went house to house. Hey, I had you over, and we had, we had a meal together, and we, we talked over the word of God, and I made sure that you got the gospel. And here's what he said. He said, I went through each with each one of you, I care for your individual souls. So here, we're going to be a people who are shaped by gospel integrity. We have to have the same kind of intentionality where we are caring for each other individually. So we see that this pathway to gospel integrity is a, a relationship with the Word of God, and it's through discipleship, through discipleship. And then finally, I want you to notice, and honestly, this is probably the least fun part of the text, if I'm going to be honest. It's in verses 14 through 16. We see a warning about gospel integrity. Okay, you ready for this? A warning for about gospel integrity. In verse number 14, he says, For you, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For you also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. Whenever I was a kid, my my dad became a became a pastor, went on staff at a church whenever I was about five years old. And from pretty early on in my life, I loved church, and I loved preaching, and if you're around me very much, I like talking. Uh, I'm sorry, I just, I can't stop it. It just keeps on coming out, so I like talking. All right, but I will get you out of here soon. Um, but whenever I was a kid, you can make fun of me later if you want to, just don't make fun of me now. Uh, but 
But whenever I was a kid, I would play with some of my friends, like we would play church, where we would go to my grandma's house, and she had a microphone and a tape recorder. And for some of you who are young, I'll show you what a tape is later. Uh, but uh, a tape recorder and a microphone, and me and my friends would seriously go back, and we would go back and forth, and we would preach. And then we would critique each other. So I would, I would preach to the microphone, and then my friend would preach to the microphone, and then we would rewind it, and then we would listen to it. And then my seven-year-old friend would tell me how I could preach better. And then I would tell my seven-year-old friend how he could preach better. And I tell you what, I'm, I'm scared. Like, I'm scared. If we ever find those tapes, like, we're going to burn them. Because, like, I would go to the back of the Bible, and if you have a physical copy, there's something called a concordance, where you can look at a word, and it says, like, rain, and it tells you every, it tells you a bunch of places where it uses the word rain. And if I wanted to preach on something, I would just look at the concordance. And I wouldn't look at what the verses said. I would just write down all these verses. And then I would get up, and then I would read them to everyone. Like, I preached a couple times when I was a kid. I would just read them to everyone, and I would have no idea what it was saying, but I would just make it up like I knew what it what was saying. Uh, so, uh, that's what I would do. We'd play church. And it was fun. And, you know, we, we acted like we were going to be these amazing, amazing preachers. But we were playing. And here's a warning that Paul gives. He says, listen, the Christian life is not a game. It's not a game. Because when you started living this, this work of faith and this labor of love, whenever you started, started living this life of gospel integrity, when you started telling other people that, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father, but by him, he says, you became followers of the church in Judea. And here's what he means by that. He uses the word mimetes, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, the word mimic. But he's using it in a completely different way. In chapter 1, he's saying, you, you became followers, you became mimics of us, as in a discipleship relationship, like a mentor uh, and a mentor. But whenever he says you became imitators of the churches of Judea, here's what he's saying. Just like the churches in Judea are suffering from intense persecution, you became imitators of that because you started being persecuted. And here's what we have to get. This warning about gospel integrity. When we actually are serious about Jesus, when you are serious about Jesus, you are declaring war. And war is being declared on you. When you live for Jesus, you are going to encounter problems, which a lot of people don't like to talk about. But when you decide, I'm going to live clean, when you say, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be faithful to God's house, I'm going to have a relationship with the Word, I promise you this, you are going to face opposition. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And what I need to share with you today, what I have to share with you today, is that if you are going to walk with Jesus, life isn't just all of a sudden going to get easier. You are going to face opposition. You are going to face problems. You are going to face 
persecution in some way, shape, or form. Jesus said, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And for you, I don't know what that will look like. I don't know what problems you're going to face, what obstacles you're going to face. But you have to understand that whenever I sign up to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, that, that Satan isn't going to like that. The enemy isn't going to like that, and he's going to fight you. But what I'm saying for our church, what the attitude that we should have, that we need to have is, hey, I want to fight right back. <laughs> I want to fight right back. We are about to celebrate, in a couple of weeks, we're about to celebrate our first anniversary as a church. On June 27th, mark the calendar. We're going to celebrate our first anniversary as a church. And whenever God gave us this building, I got excited about it. I was so excited. And then I started telling, and, and by the way, like, I live five minutes up the road. It's not like, it's not like I live far from here. I, live, I, like, I, walk, I walk to the church half the time. But I started telling people where our church was located. And I'm just going to be real with you, okay? I would tell people, oh yeah, we're on Fulton, down Fulton by the, by the old church's chicken and across from the Wells Fargo. And they said, oh, you're across from those apartments. Yeah. <laughs> you're across from those, you're you're across from, from those apartments. <laughs> listen, listen. Look at me for a second. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. And listen, we are here as soldiers of Jesus Christ to love and to reach the people in those apartments. I'm thankful for the people that live in those apartments that come to this church. But listen, we are here as soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and we have a job to do. We have a job to do. We have a war to win. And I don't know about you, but I want to punch darkness in its face and reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church, listen, if we're going to have that kind of spirit, if we're going to have that kind of attitude, Satan's got to fight back. So we have to decide, hey, I'm going to be a serious soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are we up for it? Are you up for it? Are you up for the fight of your life? So let's fight. Let's fight with prayer. Let's fight with loving like Jesus. Let's fight with hospitality and kindness and discipleship. Let's fight with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. But we are in a fight. So let's fight. Warning about gospel integrity. There will be opposition. And then, for unbelievers, there's also a warning. The warning for believers is that if you actually live with gospel integrity, you won't be opposed. But then he closes by talking about the unbelievers because the opposition that they faced was that there was a group of religious people called the Jews who didn't like the message of Jesus. So they started chasing Paul. They started chasing Paul around, and they threw rocks at him, and they threw him in prison, and they beat him with they beat him with sticks, and that's what they did to Paul, and that's what they did with this church of Thessalonica. But then he says in verse number fifteen, "What happens to them? What happens to them?" And this isn't for him, for Paul. It's not the gloat. 
If you read Romans 9, Paul's attitude towards the Jewish people, he says, hey, listen, I wish I, wish I could suffer for these people. I love these people. But he says in verse 15, he says that they killed the Lord Jesus and their prophets, and they persecuted us, and they pleased not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. For the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. And here's the warning that he gives. For the believers, there's opposition. And for those who are without Christ, there is wrath. There is wrath. The Bible says in Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin is death. That word death literally means a separation. Separation from God. And in Revelation 20, verses 14 and 15, Revelation 21, 8, the Bible describes this death, this wrath that he talks about here in this verse, as a place that we commonly know as hell. A literal place that, believe it or not, Jesus actually talked about hell more than heaven. The way that A.C. Charles said it, and I, I love the way that he worded it, that the reality of hell and the fact that God teaches about hell is it is an, it's an act of divine grace to scare people into believing him and motiv motivating believers to share the good news. That although hell is real and hell is eternal, hell is completely avoidable because of the Lord Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave them his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And my friend, we are in a war and we're in a battle because every person is going to spend eternity either with God in heaven forever or they will, if they reject Christ, they will spend eternity separated from God in eternal torment. And for those of us who are believers, the reason why we fight is not just for our own sake, but it's for those who don't know Christ. There are people all over our community, there are your neighbors, there are your friends, your family members, your co-workers who desperately need the Lord Jesus Christ, who need to be born again, who need to have a, a home secure in heaven, so it's that much more vital, it's that much more important for us to live lives of gospel integrity. So we can stand through every storm, and so we can reach those who need them. If you would please bow your head and close your eyes uh, for a moment of privacy.